How's everybody doing? Man, you guys are louder than when I do announcements, right? Like, Scott, you did a good job, man. You woke them up. Like, you, when I do announcements, I'm like, good morning. How's everybody doing? It's like, good morning. And so it's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing for sure. Let me uh, open up my notes here, and then we will jump on in. Um, so today I'm going to uh, preach out of Acts 4. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to uh, turn to Acts chapter 4. Um, last time I was up here, I made a joke about Jeff not standing in front of a pulpit, and uh, because of lack of room, I'm going to try to stand the way Jeff does. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, so yeah, we're going to preach out of Acts four today. And really, what's really cool about this passage is that what we're going to see in this story is that it is so connected to what Vinny talked about last week, and then also what Jeff talked about the week before. It's really one big celebration in terms of. An event, and the reason for that is this entire passage flows out of uh, Pentecost that we see uh, in Acts chapter two. So there's this continuous story. What we're going to read today in Acts four is very much connected to Acts chapter uh, three. And so last week when we were up, uh, when Vinny was up here, we we learned this. This is what we learned. We learned that people's primary and deepest need is spiritual healing in Jesus Christ. Um, and as we go through Acts chapter 4 today, uh, what we're going to recognize is that um, the proclaiming of the gospel boldly, right, is very much connected to seeing people be spiritually healed by Christ, right? It's, those two things go hand in hand. And my aim for us today is to show how those things are married and they work uh, together. So our big, our, our big idea is really simple. Uh, the big idea is this. The church proclaims the gospel boldly. The church proclaims the gospel boldly. It's really simple, but it flows directly out of this need to see people healed spiritually, right? So that's what it flows out of. So before I jump into Acts chapter 4 today, I just want to go ahead and pray uh, for the passage uh, that for God's spirit, that he would move in our hearts and our minds as we hear the word of God preached. Uh, and I want to pray for myself, uh, and I want to pray for you guys, and uh, anyone who is going to watch this thing on the internet, I also want to pray for you guys. So let's go ahead and pray. Um, Father God, I just, uh, man, I thank you for today. I thank you for just this, this opportunity to get up here and preach the gospel. Um, as the big truth today, the big, the big idea is that we are to proclaim the gospel boldly. And uh, God, as we walk through this passage, would you reveal to us or convict our hearts um, for that truth? Would you move us in a way that, uh, that we want to walk out of here and be faithful to your mission and proclaim the gospel boldly? So God, would you prepare our hearts and our minds, uh, anyone who gets a chance to listen to this, and God, would you um, help me to be invisible and make yourself visible? Would you... Bring your presence here. Transform our hearts and our mind. Uh, God, we thank you for Jesus. Without Jesus, we would not uh, be here today. Without, um, without your Holy Spirit, we would not be here today. And without your redeeming plan from eternity to eternity, uh, we would not be here today. So we are extremely grateful for all that you have done. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... <clears throat> Let's go ahead and just jump right in because it's a long passage. We're going to cover, it's going to be Acts 4, 1 through 31. 
4, 1 through 31. And this is what it says, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up to them. And so here's kind of what's happening. As I alluded to earlier, uh, you had Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is like a Jewish festival. It, it celebrates, uh, it's the grain festival. It celebrates this, and it tends to be about seven weeks long. And so Peter and John, as, they're, as they sneak, not sneak, they're Jewish, so they get to come into this festival, this, this, this thing that we call Pentecost, right? Today as Christians, we remember Pentecost as the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit coming down and indwelling his people. And so, uh, but when they think of Pentecost, the context that we see here, it's this big seven-week-long celebration. And so what has happened is Acts 2 has happened, Acts 3 has happened that we, that we uh, learned from last week, right? Uh, Peter healed a man uh, who was lame, who was 40 years old, and then we're rolling directly into uh, Acts chapter 4, and this is where tension starts to happen. So this is kind of the scene that we're kind of, we find ourselves at. What happens is, right, so they do this healing, man, Peter in Acts 2 preaches the gospel, and then what happens? It says this. So you have Peter and John, and it says that the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came up to them. So here's kind of like uh, your, your religious police, right? You have, you have these three kind of uh, categories of police. You have your priests. These guys are the guys that did sacrifices and stuff. Uh, and then you had the temple. Uh, the, he was, um, excuse me, the captain of the guard. And so his kind of, his, his role was kind of like superintendent, kind of like a captain of the chief department, right? Uh, like the police department. He's like that guy. And then you have the Sadducees. So this is what's so unique about this, is that the Sadducees weren't even really friends with the priests and these guys. They actually believed something a little bit different than your typical Pharisees, right? They, they only believed in the first five, bo- uh, first five books, the, the Pentateuch or the law of the Old Testament. So the first five books of your Bible that's what they held to. They didn't believe in, to, in a lot of the other things that the Pharisees believed in. So what you have is you have these religious leaders from two different sects of, of, uh, of religion coming together to oppose John and Peter. This is how you know that things were, were changing, right? This is how you know that people didn't like what you were doing. When you have two people who tend to be opposed to one another, team up so that way they can be opposed to you. That's when you know you've done something right for the gospel, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm being serious. So this is kind of the scene that we find ourselves on, right? Like, like, you have these two people who didn't like each other. Now they're buddies, so they can, like, come and, you know, be opposed to you and, and essentially make war. So th- that's our scene. And how do we know that they were super upset? Uh, if you just look at verse 2, it says this. It starts this way. They were greatly annoyed. <laughs> Right? They were just upset. Uh, And it says, why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Man, that's astonishing. 5,000. Thousand, so here they are, right? Super courageous. These two guys, they roll up to a religious festival where they know that their message won't be welcomed. So much so that two 
different branches of the Jewish religion partner together who tend to not like each other and oppose them, right? And so it's, it's actually quite interesting when you think about it because they came in being Jews, kind of like undercover, right? They preached the gospel, they healed the dude, and now these people are upset with them. And what's so cool about it is that it was super sneaky. It was just like super sneaky. And they just said, you know what? We're going to show up to this place and we're going to preach the gospel even though we know it's not going to be welcomed. And what I find unique about this passage and when I think about us in the 21st century, this is something that we encounter almost every single day. Although this is a religious festival and uh, this is what they were doing, but at the same time, like nonetheless, the same principle transcends the culture and time. Why? Because the gospel being preached there was a problem. The gospel being preached today is a problem. You go to school if you're in high school, right? That is a problem. If you go to work and you try to preach the gospel to one of your friends or build that relationship, it's a problem. If you go to just the beach down the street and you stand up and preach the gospel, what happens? Even Christians don't like you. It's awesome, right? But here's the difference, right? So, so because we read this passage and and they're really getting up, they're preaching the gospel, the society's kind of turning upside down, right? People's lives are changing, and when people's lives change, what happens? Society changes. That's what happens. When someone loses their, their old worldview and does away with it and gain, gains a new worldview, what happens? When 5,000 of those people get a whole brand new worldview, society changes. That's, that's what happens. But here's one of the biggest differences between this culture and the culture we live in today. Rhetoric. Rhetoric is one of the biggest differences. In the first century, and this is just real historical, in the first century, rhetoric was a profession that was highly respected. Like, you can be a professional, get up, and just speak. If, you're not, if you don't know what rhetoric is, I'll define it, so that way uh, we have a clear understanding. Rhetoric is um, it's the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing. So this was something that people did often. This is why as we continue through Acts you'll see that there are moments where Paul will encounter with people who are speaking and, and they're getting up and they're talking about you know, their God or their philosophy or whatever, whatever it is. It's because rhetoric was a popular thing in the first century. It just was. And so here's one of the biggest differences. Not that relationships weren't valued then, because they were, but relationships in our culture are primary. Rhetoric is not something that is highly sought after in terms of public speaking anymore. It's, it's not. You can't just do it all the time. And if, and if you do, someone pays you to get up on a stage like this, and the people who actually want to listen, they will come and listen, but everybody else kind of stays away. In that day, it wasn't like that. Everybody would listen, right? It's almost like a competing for who, is, who can argue better. But the primary difference between this culture and, and the culture we live in today is relationship. It's, it's really relationship. So when we see Peter and, and John come here, and, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're doing exactly what the mission of the gospel is, right? They, 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 like, sneakingly walk into this festival. They preach the gospel. They do this in their context. But in our context, how do we do that? Because we know if we go to work, we're going to be opposed. If we go to the grocery store, we're going to be opposed. If we go to a city event, to some degree, we'll be opposed, right? We've had a really good relationship with the city here in Salle. But if we go down to the beach, we, we're opposed, so how do we do that in this culture? It's primarily through relationships. It takes courage to preach the gospel to your unbelieving friend, does it not? 
Because what is the foundation of the gospel? Hey, man, I'm a sinner, and so are you. Sometimes that's hard to tell your friend, right? Because you love them. You don't want to make them, like, feel bad. But sometimes reality just, like, is rough, right? Truth hurts sometimes. But if we love them, we tell them. And so as we continue uh, through this passage, and, and the reason I want to talk so much about relationships is this, is uh, two reasons. One is because even in your friendships with unbelievers, once you present the gospel to them or you take that stance of, no, I'm a Christian, this is what I believe, this is what I stand for, two things typically happen. They will either embrace the gospel that you have just proclaimed to them, they will embrace the Jesus who frees them and liberates them from sin, not only the sin they've done, but sin that's been done towards them. But what else, the other thing that could happen is this, they could just outright reject it and they could outright reject you. They could be that opposed to it. And that's a reality as Christians in this world when we're like Peter and John where we just kind of show up, we do our thing, we, we, you know, we rub shoulder to shoulder with just about everybody around us and then, and then what we do is we, show, we slowly look at them and say, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I love that guy because he died for me and I want to share my story with you and, and in doing so I want to preach the gospel and then what could happen is they could fully embrace Christ and it is one of the most amazing things ever. It is awesome. If you've ever led someone to Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you're missing out. Go, go out there and do it. But at the same time, you have to be prepared for rejection. Because it will happen. Peter and John, they were totally prepared, but they could care less. They're like, I don't care if people reject it. I don't care if they don't want to hear it. I'm going to love them anyways and tell them. Right? And we're going to see that too as we continue to work through this. So, so here's a hard truth uh, essentially to accept when it comes to uh, sharing the gospel with your friends. It's this. When you preach the gospel boldly, people will either embrace Christ or reject him. People will either embrace Christ or reject him. And sometimes when they reject him, they will outright reject you. I've had that experience. I've had people say, I can't even believe you think you believe that stuff, man. My view of you is just different. I'm sorry. It's just where I stand, man. And because I love you, I want to continue relationship, but sometimes it's, they don't feel that way. Let's jump to uh, verse 7. And so this is the next morning, right? So here's the scene. They get arrested. It's evening time. They, remember that. They get arrested. And so now we're at the next morning. Verse 7 says this. And when they had set them in the midst... They inquired. So in other words, these religious people, the religious leaders of the day, the priest, right, the temple captain, the guard guy, uh, and the Sadducees, they, they kind of surrounded them, and, they, and they're going to question these guys. They're going to be like, what are you guys doing, right? So that's kind of the scene that we see here. Um, it says, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then look, what, look how Peter responds in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the, pe of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Listen, listen to what he says next. L listen to how bold Peter is. Look what he says. Whom you crucified. 
Imagine saying that to your friends. Like, hey, your sin caused Jesus to willfully go up on that cross. Whoa. Like, that's hard. That's rough. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And this person that's standing, this is what Vinny taught on last week, right? About how Peter looked at the lame man who's 40 years old, never been into the temple, and he said, hey, in the, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he put his hand out, picked him up, and he walked. And this is the man standing there, right? And this is the man they see. This is the healing that they're talking about, right? So th- this is what they're seeing here. And, and Peter's saying, by, by, by Christ is how he was uh, healed. And then look, look how he ends in verse 12, and he says this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, look what it says, they had nothing to say in opposition. Nothing to say in opposition. Guys, this should really encourage us and move us to, to be bold. Okay? Like, this should really encourage us and move us in action with our feet and our hands and the words that come in our mouth to proclaim the gospel boldly because we know it transforms people's lives. We know that to be true because the scripture tells us that that's what happens. And so a lot of times we look and we say, man, I don't know how Peter did that. Like, right? But the answer is really simple. So verse 8, and here's the answer. How did Peter do this? How did Peter have such boldness and courage do this in verse 8? Look what it says. It says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That is the solution to having courage to go and proclaim the gospel boldly. It's knowing that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So I, wanna, I want us to recognize what this doesn't say because I think this is really, really important. And I want to emphasize what it does say. It, does, it doesn't say because B- Peter was the tough guy who feared nothing. He was not the dude in the midst of the religious leaders who were threatening to kill him, like, I'll fight you right now. He was not that guy, right? He wasn't that dude. That probably would have been me, and I would have lost. But that was not Peter, uh, because he has way more humility than I do. It doesn't say because Peter was trying to earn God's favor. It doesn't say that. He wasn't going to proclaim the gospel to earn some type of treasure or, or whatever. It does not say that. It doesn't say because Peter was a superhero. We love superheroes in our culture, so I thought I'd mention it. It doesn't say because Peter was the best husband or dad. It doesn't say because Peter was the most educated. And in fact, verse 13, it says that Peter was just uneducated and a common man. And that they were astonished. You know what? That, that should encourage us this. That you don't have to be a Bible scholar to preach the gospel. Like you don't. You, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to preach the gospel. All you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is enough. Right? It doesn't say because Peter had money, influence, and power. 
It doesn't say because Peter was courageous or bold, even though he was. It doesn't say that. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is what I know is true of Peter in this moment. This moment where he's confronted and and his life is at danger, his homeboy's life is at danger, like all that stuff, right? These people, the people around him are are in danger. Here's what I know Peter believed in that moment. Here's what I know is true of Peter. He believed he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times we forget that. Like when we get up, we get up, we get dressed, we go to work, we forget that we are spiritual persons. I think we forget those things. In this moment, that is what held Peter together. It was that he 100% believed the promises of God. He believed that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If he didn't believe that, he would not have responded the way he did. He'd probably be like, yeah, man, you're right. Let me get out of here. Not my scene, not my crew. I'm out, right? But he absolutely believed it. He believed the promises of God, and he believed that the mission of God was already a success. And that's why he had the confidence to go and preach the gospel to people who didn't want to hear it. Because he knows that on the cross, the victory was won. That it's done, right? That's what he knows. And he believed that. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip a few a little bit. And I just want to get to this point, and, and, and I want us to see this. And uh, so my next point is this. The Holy Spirit empowers all believers to preach the gospel boldly for the, for the good of all people. So as, as Peter went through that, and, and the Holy Spirit filled him, and he preached the gospel boldly and it's ultimately for the good of all people it's not because he's doing it for to to irritate people or to annoy them he's doing it is because it's for their good verse 15 says this but when they had commanded them to leave the council they uh, conferred with one another saying what shall we do with these men for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of jerusalem and we cannot deny it But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered. And look how they responded. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Verse 21. And when, they had, uh, and when they had further threatened them, so in other words, when they say, we're not going to listen to you, we're not doing it, we're going to continue to preach the gospel, what happened? More threats came. It got worse. And when, they had, uh, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign uh, of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 40 years old. But Peter, verse 19, and John answered, whether, oh, I'm sorry, my my apologies. So here's what we have here, and here's what's happening. Peter and John, they weren't, these courageous guys. 
They weren't. They were just people like you and people like I, people who are challenged to preach the gospel, who are nervous to preach the gospel, who are frightened to preach the gospel, especially when there's opposition for your entire crew there, right, or your family. They're nervous. They're frightened by these things. But they were courageous because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want us to understand where that courage comes from, right? And so this is where it comes from, right? The outworking of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a, is a courageous lifestyle. The outworking of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a courageous lifestyle. I want us to understand what is happening here. Because here's, here's what's really, really happening. When Peter and John are standing there and they're preaching the gospel and they're telling these guys, no, I won't do it. I won't shut my mouth. And by the way, they're in trouble, if you just, right, if you just listen to what he said, they're in trouble for talking. Like, that's the primary reason why these religious leaders don't like them. Because they refuse to stop, like, they refuse not to stop talking. Right? They're like, we can't stop preaching the gospel. But here's what's so amazing about this passage. Right? Here's what's so amazing about what's happening. Here are these people who are threatening them. And then here is Peter and John and his crew loving the people who are threatening them. Do you see what's happening there? How do, we, how do we know? Because if Peter and John didn't love them, they would have said okay and they would have turned around and walked away and they would have never have shared the gospel and they would have let them die and go to hell. That's how we know. That's how I know that Peter and John deeply loved these people that were persecuting them. Right? And being filled with the Holy Spirit caused them to live a courageous lifestyle. Courageous in that I'm going to continue to preach the gospel even to the people who are, who are threatening me, beating me, persecuting me, whatever that looks like, I'm going to continue to do it anyways because I love them despite what they're doing, right? And the question is, how does Peter do that? Yeah, how, did, how did Peter muster up the, the courage and how did Peter know that this is how we ought to love people? Guys, he, he watched Jesus do it. This is exactly and the primary reason why Jesus came to earth to die on the cross for people like you and I who ultimately would reject him. We would be the ones persecuting. So in this, in this passage, considering it, we are the persecutor, right? And Jesus is the one saying, I'm here to, I'm here to save you. Like we're not on the other end. We're not the courageous guy preaching the gospel. We're the ones threatening, right? But that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of what Peter and John are doing here is that most importantly in this moment when they're discussing these things with these religious leaders who are threatening them, their primary focus is to love these people who want to kill them and preach the gospel to them anyway so that they would come to know Christ. So that they could know the joy and satisfaction that they have in Jesus. That's why they did this. So guys, if anything should move you, right, to preach the gospel boldly, it's believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit because you're a Christian and that's, that's what's true of you. And two is love people that courageously. Like, love them that courageously. This is not the most in-depth passage or point that's in this chapter, 
but is one of the most courageous ones that's there. Even the people who make fun of you, slander you, mock you at work, your neighbor at your, where you live, no matter where it is, love them courageously, serve them well, and continue to be an example of what Jesus wants you to look like for them. Continue to do that. Is it hard? Yes. Is it scary? Yes. Is it frightening? Yes. But remember something. Remember this, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God, has, God will never call you to do something he has not equipped you to do. They are common men. They are not Bible scholars. Anyone can get up and preach the gospel. We just have to actually believe that. Verse 23 says this, And when they were released, they went to their friends. This is awesome, right? It's like, man, it's like this crazy story that just happened. And the first thing they do is they go to their homeboy's house, and they're like, dude, check this out. This is rad. This is what happened. So this is awesome. So they, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They're like, man, I'm going to tell you guys the craziest story. These dudes threatened us. I preached the gospel, and they didn't kill us. It was amazing. <laughs> right? Wait, where'd you do that at? At a place I wasn't welcomed. Crazy. So that's what happened. Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it? So now they're praying. So how do they respond to this message, right? How do they respond to what God has just done in their life? They're praying. They go, they tell their friends what happened, and the response is worship. They're now praying. Verse 25 says this, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were, uh, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom, uh, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their hearts and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So in closing, I want you guys to see a common theme that is foreshadowed kind of throughout this entire passage. Um, in verse 16, it says, uh, it's talking about the religious, the religious leaders couldn't do anything against them because of a sign that had been done, Right? In verse 22, it says, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And then right now, as we just read in verse 30, it says this, The disciples prayed that the signs and wonders would continue to be done through Jesus. The sign that is spoken of in this passage, guys, is referring to what we saw in Acts chapter 3. It's referring to the man who was healed. It's referring to this guy who was lame for 40 years from birth, and then Peter said, get up and walk in the name of Jesus, and he did. But, but what that sign is foreshadowing 
is not the miraculous healing that actually happened. It's foreshadowing internal healing, right? Jesus is the great physician who does spiritual heart surgery on people. It's foreshadowing that. It's showing how, as Ephesians 2, 1 says, that we are dead in our, trans- in our trespasses and sins. It's foreshadowing that dead people become alive through Christ and the, and the gospel. That's what it's pointing to. And how do I know it? Because the whole passage is, is coming from that one sign. And throughout the entire time, they're, like the disciples aren't in trouble for healing the guy. They're in trouble for the words that they were saying. Right? And then look at verse 31 again. And this is how I know that this is a foreshadow. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of how God resurrects our hearts. Right? This is a picture of how God takes our old sinful ways and, and, makes it, and puts it to death and resurrects, us in, uh, resurrects in us a new life in Christ. Look what he says in 31. And when they had prayed, the places in which they were gathered uh, together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What it does not say here is that they wanted to continue to go heal people. It doesn't say that. It says that they're going to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And it emphasizes, again, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit. The reason in this passage that it emphasizes it is because it wants you to know that apart from the Spirit of God, these guys weren't going to do this. So it says that the word of God, that we are to speak the word of God with boldness. So here's the deal. The reason this is so important, guys, is because the gospel changes everything. Everything. If we look at this passage, so many people were saved that the priest and the people who were opposed to him couldn't do anything. If we want to see our community change, if we want to see the next generation change, if we want to see the older generation change, if we want to see people come to Christ, we have to believe that we are spirit-led and spirit-filled people and that that truth is going to go and cause us to preach the gospel boldly to the people at work, to the pe- our neighbors, if you're in high school, to the people at your school, no matter where it is. If we don't have the courage to do it, Don't expect society to change. In fact, expect it to continue to go the opposite. Expect it to continue to get worse. Why does our society continue to go down a path that's more and more evil, right? Like abortion and things like that? Because as Christians, we're not being bold and we're not preaching the gospel, right? If you want what's best for your kids, preach the gospel to them. If you want what's best for your wife, preach the gospel to her. If you want what's best for your husband, preach the gospel to him. If you want what's best for your neighbors, if you want what's best for anybody, preach the gospel first and foremost. It is their deepest need. Amen? All right, cool. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, man, I, I lift this passage up to you. And God, would we take this passage home with us? Would we hold it tight? Would we remember that you have promised us in your spirit and that you have filled us with your spirit, and because of that, we are able to, to go and 
proclaim the gospel boldly. And we know that nobody can take that from us. That it is, that Jesus is our identity. And that we don't have to deal with the shame or guilt or the slander or the gossip or the persecution. Whatever comes towards us, we know that we can freely love those people because Jesus, your son, has died so that way we can be liberated from that sin. God, give us courage. Give us boldness. Move our hands and our feet. Convict our hearts to move. Because if we don't, if we don't, if we don't preach the gospel, we are one generation away from losing the faith in America. So God, give us courage, give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen.